0: Hello and welcome to the Human and Machine podcast. My name is Jakub Marquat. I'm your co-host as always here with uh, Lenny Smith. Um, Lenny and I spoke with Walker Reynolds last week, absolute industry le- legend, <clears throat> talking about his role as an online educator, his role as a leader within industry, and also just about his passion um, for our industry and some of the driving uh, reasons and passion I suppose, that that drives why he does what he does every day. So that was a fascinating podcast last
1: week. Yeah, I I really enjoyed Walker's, um, you know, no-nonsense attitude. Um, I think that's something that stood out for me from his his talk was just the notion that people cannot be held hostage for data that they own. Um, Data must be made available. We live in this age where, and he explained it so well about, you know, uh, a digital work or digital transformation, transforming your workspace is like, having the cell phone or the personal phone for yourself with all of the information that you need available right there on your fingertips. And in this day and age, you cannot have a supplier or a vendor having your data held hostage in whatever system it is. And I think you really, really summed that up brilliantly for us last week.
0: Yeah, he was brutally honest about about his uh, about his views as well, which which I appreciated. So, if you missed that episode with Ren- uh, Walker Reynolds, Walker Reynolds, uh, great guy, lovely chat, very insightful, and and just genuinely one of the most passionate people you'll you'll come across in our industry. Um, so, if you haven't listened to the podcast before. We, of course, aim to bring you anything relating to the manufacturing, mining and production environments in South Africa specifically. Um, We aim to do a small little part to help share stories and news and insights and opinions from people that we um, enjoy speaking to and people that we find um, uh, valuable conversations with and we try and bring you those every week. This week specifically, a lot we've spoken, COVID has obviously been uh, a central theme for most of our episodes over the last couple of weeks. Um, We're going to return to that a little bit in this week's episode, um, chatting about some technologies that perhaps pre-COVID and, or as people call it now, BC and AC, before COVID and after COVID, uh, were perhaps um, looked at, investigated, studied, not yet implemented, and how those are set to become quite mainstream and pervasive after COVID. So this week, we, we, we're we very excited to chat with Herman Skeper. Um Our team has known Herman for a couple of years. Herman is a passionate data scientist, engineer, consultant, uh, business developer, and of course um, a leader within our industry. Um, we're going to chat with Herman a little bit about all of these things, but we'll, we'll let Herman do his introduction. Uh, Herman, welcome to the Human and Machine podcast. Oh, thank you very much. It's, a, it's definitely a
2: pleasure to be here. Um, and as an engineer, I'm probably not as good an orator as you guys are, <laughs> but um, no, hopefully, not. I can, I can, I can add some insights in terms of what I say, and not necessarily how I say it.
1: No, that's perfect, Amo. the Casual conversation. I mean, me and Yaku always joke about sitting here in our studio um but yeah thanks a lot for joining us uh, on this friday afternoon to to talk a little bit about as yaku mentioned ac and bc especially around you know we've heard buzzwords around the the technology around you know ar and vr and machine learning and artificial intelligence as such um i I know you know as yaku mentioned before COVID was still something that a little bit of a hype probably in the hype, hype cycle uh, but definitely, some of these technologies are now actually, and I think, accelerated probably because of COVID uh, and and the way that we have to do business now, um, and it's actually now a little bit more tangible and actually implementable in in most of the cases. Yeah, I
2: think so. Um, just do a uh, uh, little bit more about myself. I'm i I'm an engineer by trade um, and qualification. I've been involved in, interestingly enough, both commercial and industrial IT across multiple industries for, I think, longer than I'd like to admit at this stage. <laughs> so I've been fortunate enough to see, you know, many trends coming and going and many waves of of innovation and technology. So, you know, I think with experience, you learn how to to separate the hype from the, um you know, from what's real and what's going to make a long-term contribution, and what's going to really, really stick uh, uh, um, in you know manufacturing and business in general. Uh, and if you look at uh, you know technologies that have really progressed in in the last few years, due to um, I guess a lot of research funding going into it. Uh, One of them is image processing and machine vision, specifically using deep learning networks and uh, or AI as as a lot of people call it, as opposed to old fashioned or or the the sort of more traditional rule based machine vision systems. Um, And if you think about the post and pre-COVID thing, just general business. I think we all realise now that uh, if, before disruptions of this kind, people can actually work remotely. It, it works well, and um, you know, office workers can work remotely, and you don't have to have so many, so so many people on the actual factory floor. But what about things like quality control? Where it's a complex part that gets manufactured in a You know, in a sophisticated plant, you know, I'm thinking things like uh, printed circuit boards, high-density electronics, uh, vehicle part manufacturing, where people necessarily have to congregate and have to be in one fairly confined space to do that. Mm. And the question is really, how how could you allow people to do the same job remotely and really augment their expertise using a practical technology that's viable today. Now, there's
0: a, f- a, a few sorry, drivers
2: here.
0: Sorry to yes. interrupt you, I, 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 what you mentioned about practicals. So I think we, you know, maybe maybe the, the BC and AC view. So, f- so obviously to your point, for many businesses and many, many, many manufacturing companies for that matter, uh, global crises have always presented um moments of re-evaluation and a new approach Um, and uh, and what i'm referring to there is the kind of innovation and new that we see where in 2003 for example with the SARS outbreak um, that gave birth to companies such as alibaba and jd.com if you look at the crisis of 2008 and 2009 um, it was really the time for american express and starbucks um, to pivot to their core business um, and so we're expecting that COVID-19 is going to be no different, that it will, it will definitely force a lot of companies, and especially manufacturing, and again, to your point, um, how we use the real or true innovators people, how we use those people within manufacturing, within the plant floor, um, and how we can maybe pivot uh, where they add value. Um, And I I like the stuff that you've mentioned. Now, do you, um, uh, sorry, I want to get back to everything that you've mentioned. But the point that you mentioned about the practical things. So I would imagine that before COVID, um, manufacturers specifically, they were obviously evaluating where AI can be integrated and the business cases. Uh, And to us, it feels like they never quite, uh, they never quite reached that first step to, uh, to assess whether it could be utilized and what value it can add. Do you think that's fair? And do you see that? Or and and do you feel that COVID was maybe perhaps the push that they needed um, in that direction because they were almost forced to do it?
2: Yeah, I think the the you're right. Um, it was kind of it was fairly it a lot of point solutions. Um, I, I do have to mention that they are that one of the AI startups that reached unicorn. Level is in the in the engineering, manufacturing, and mining space. They they are called Update AI, and um, you know one of the things that they allow companies to do is to do essentially fault finding and predictive maintenance on. Um, they especially big in the North American, particularly Canadian, mining industry. Uh, remotely and with a lot, lot fewer people than they're used to. Uh, you, you know, you in in Canada, the the mining conditions are quite harsh, mm. and it's it's a, often people. It's a fly in, fly out scenario now. The you know, and 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 with COVID, it was literally impossible for people to go. So mm. so with you know the trend where you see mining, you know, the all the all the low hanging fruit and mining has been big, people are building mines. on your plant based on process data, great. So I think that's one important trend. The other important thing for me is that, you know, people don't really want to just do um, these things for the sake of it. They want to tie it to metrics, you know, standard traditional metrics like OEE, you know, which includes things well, like metrics the, understand quality,
0: the metrics that they understand that they're familiar with.
2: Yes, because yeah. Yeah. I mean if I'm a plant manager and my KPI is OEE based, I mean, do I really want to put something in where I don't see immediate payback and where I can't integrate it into my existing infrastructure yeah. and um, where I don't have to appoint massive teams of data scientists to, to actually implement the technology. Now companies like, like Uptake are making the process part of it easier. The massive amount of money that companies like um, Tesla and Google and Facebook is putting into machine vision and image processing research has really caused that field to become extremely sophisticated where neural nets now are beating any other type of model or technology, for example, when it comes to optical character recognition. Mm. And what I think what people have realised is, if, and 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 another important thing is that high quality digital cameras have been becoming quite accessible. So if I want to put a quality control system now into my plant, hmm. where I can um, have very little staff on the floor, I can literally have guys sitting like me now. I mean, I mean, Zoom, you know, talk about companies that you know, it previously really came to the fore, I think Zoom's one of them, where people are now doing everything digitally. Mm -hmm. And the same with, uh, you know, know, quality control and inspections. I can be sitting quite comfortably in my house with my computer, with my high-speed connection, um, and I can be getting, and and I can sort of remotely, with robotic assistance on the plant floor, or, or, or limited staff, Say, well, the AI says this door is defective. It is defective. You know, please, you know, um, do whatever is necessary to do, to, to, or whatever corrective action my quality management system, uh, you know, mandates under this particular condition. Yeah. So, so I think particularly machine vision, and uh, it is one area where. It, it's really making a practical difference today. Another interesting thing is uh, another AI development is the uh, you must have seen all these pictures on things like Instagram yes. you know, where you, you can put ears on, a, on somebody's uh, head or you know, all sorts <laughs> of weird things. But exactly the, the same technology well, that can the be used to create <laughs> synthetic data. Because one of the big problems with deep learning is that it needs massive data sets for acceptable out of sample performance. You know, in other words, to you know, to put it like uh, in plain English, it takes a long time to learn and it needs a lot of examples, right? Yeah. Um, so a bit like me when I was young, right? I, I had lots of ex- I needed lots of examples to learn something useful. <laughs> And, um, you know, it's the same with deep learning networks. They're very powerful, but they're quite cumbersome to train. Um, Nvidia, so, so, so if you look at the common, another technology trend it's just the, the massive amount of money that companies like NVIDIA is putting into improving their chips. Yes. And, you know, people are, people are learning how to string these things together into their own supercomputers. So I can now have a very powerful deep learning engine to train networks. I can generate enough data to do it from a few um, samples. I can generate enough synthetic data by, um, you know, taking a scratch in a door and rotating it. You know, say I can can have one picture with a scratch and I can rotate it 360 times. And then I've got that same scratch 360 times with different angles Mm. to train the neural network with and um and this is happening today it's definitely something that we're seeing that um a lot of companies um and and it's happening right it's happening now as part of this post covid innovation wave and those companies are actually implementing machine vision systems yeah. for quality control
0: yeah and that's exciting that's really exciting and to your point it, it seems like it's almost a little bit of a nudge that everybody needed um to to really be forced to investigate and look at the technology and understand the value that it adds. One of the questions that I had for you is you use the example of um, you, know, you at home, on Zoom, like so many other people have been, uh, but obviously we know that in our world, or specifically the manufacturing world, um, 100% remote operations and maintenance is not always possible in, in, in all scenarios. So I think maybe one of the, one of the critical things that, that people are gonna ask is, what is this mixture of uh, on-site, call it core on-site, and remote operations? What does that mixture look like um, while still maintaining, obviously, a safe operating environment for people that are, uh, that are on-site? And, and how, so in other words, how do, how, do, how do we play well together with the tech that's, that's now being implemented?
2: i think that that will probably uh be on a case by case basis uh, i think probably people would just need to employ common sense or 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 sort of maybe experiment to see what would work for them but but i think there's a few givens right uh you need to have basics in place that's absolutely critical like you have to have uh, you have to be properly instrumented you know if you want to do anomaly detection of any kind, whether it's uh, by your process data or whether it's on the, the, the product that comes out of the process, good instrumentation is critical. You have to have reliable hardware and software. You have to be, you know, your historian to, has to be set up correctly. Uh, you need to understand or, or think about how you're going to integrate this with your MES. How are you going to report on it? How are you going to visualize this data? Um, How are you going to, you know, so for me, I think you're going to have to have great connectivity, you know, if you're going to have people working remotely um, and doing something as critical as quality control based on data that gets sent to them over a internet connection. That's gonna be have to be pretty reliable and you're gonna to have to make sure that there's either redundancy in people or redundancy in connectivity. Yeah. So so I think there's challenges around that, but I don't think those challenges can't be overcome. And I think the the you know the the, the way that people have managed to collaborate digitally, you know, have meetings, sell, do projects. Um, without really ever seeing one another, mm. as, as 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 shown that it's possible, you know. And um, and I agree with you. You know, I, I know there's a lot of Australian mining companies that work, you know, even even doing machine operations remotely. Mm. Sure, incredible. But you know, that's not for everyone. I think you have to kind of figure out how you know what's practical for your plant. What are you trying to achieve? And um, you, you know what? What are the real business drivers around putting this in place? I, I guess, like with any, you know, like any other technology investment, yeah. Good visualization software. You know, um, the the human brain is still the most powerful neural network out there. You know, so you still need to be able to give your your operators and your quality control people the tools to do that. And, um, you know, it doesn't, I think it's also, it's not necessarily restricted to the plant floor. I've got a um, a friend that does image processing on the supply chain side of things, you know, where um, his AI can basically see whether a truck is full enough. or Hmm. You know, if, if maybe that it can pick up you know, things like trucks being over or under from photos, really? you know, goes to the automated supply chain thing where there's a, there's not necessarily a human being doing inspections anymore. Or, I mean, we, it, it could be augmented, right? Because, um, if you have, a, um, a large amount of traffic, you yeah. know, going in and out of a plant or, Uh, Running around a mine or going in and out of a mine, Uh, a person could could do a great job, but they could miss things. Yeah. And if you are, uh, and and if 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 you've just got like a a AI assistant that says, you know, Johnny, I think you might have missed something. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
2: It just really improves the ability of that person to do the job. Um, You know, whether they're on site and they've got a phone as their, or a tablet as the device or whether they at home as a backup for somebody on site yeah I, I think these are, are, are yeah. you know broadband is so uh, pervasive today that it's becoming quite possible to do this
0: yes. and uh, the other thing that you um, you know a lot of people the first immediate reaction you've probably heard this a million times when they hear AI is is the rise of the machines uh, we're going to become obsolete, the rise of the machines, they're taking over, um, you know, there, there's obviously that's quite an extreme view of, of, of the way things are going. Um, but I think it also presents us as, as human workers and, and empowered human workers, uh, an opportunity to potentially learn some other skills um, and spend our time in other areas where we can add more value than what we have been doing. Um, that's that's the other way to look at at, at, at it as an opportunity.
2: No, I agree. I mean,
0: like like the history has shown that for every
2: major technology revolution where a lot of jobs were lost, an equal amount of jobs were created in other areas. You know, people are are needed to to run these things, to train the algorithms. And I think the other thing that we're seeing is that successful implementations don't, Necessarily cut cost by uh, getting rid of people, but essentially add value by augmenting the capabilities of the people that's already there. You know, um, I think it's, a, it, it's personally having quite a deep understanding, I think, of, of neural nets and how they work and what they can actually do. I would not trust anything to a neural net without any human um, supervision or involvement yep. at some level. It's just not, and that's, that's science fiction.
0: That's a lot coming from my opinion.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, Adman, I think, Arman, I think a, a lot of people think that you know AI machine learning always gives you the correct answer. But there's still a lot of false negatives and, and false positives even coming out of those networks that I agree 100%. The, the sanity of the human brain cannot be understated in this. And, and I, don't, I also don't believe that it's gonna be a full-on, you know, autonomous solution where, where this thing is gonna be 100% all the time. And, it, and it,
0: does, it does give you what you put in, like, like anything else.
1: Yep,
2: yep, uh, um, there are some, there's some, um, I mean, there's been a lot of progress in, in unsupervised learning, you know, uh, where you just sort of give the thing data and it sort of figures out by itself what's normal. But you know, that's not necessarily the greatest way to train a quality control robot in a plant, right? Mm. 50 fifty fifty defective to a client later, it's you know, it's learned. It knows now that it, what, what a defect looks like, but <laughs> you've lost a lot of money in the meantime.
0: <laughs> exactly. So um and,
2: and, and I think the the um uh, yeah, I I honestly don't think people need need to worry about uh, AI and machine learning taking their jobs. Um, I think it's more a case of augmenting people. Um, obviously, there, there are areas where it can do things that people simply can't do. Yes. Uh, but, uh, how but that's mean- different because that's creating new value. It's not replacing people, it's yeah. It's doing new things that were, for example, micro defects in high density electronics that were extremely hard to detect previously, yeah. where you can now take a high definition, a high quality. And I mean, those things are coming off the production line at a massive rate. You know, you've got to have a person, you know, so, so, so it's things that were not possible before, you know, uh, that can now be done. It's like saying, well, the telephone took away the job of, uh, you know, because you, know, like, you couldn't talk to somebody in the real time over a phone before the phone existed.
0: Uh, People
2: I'm just don't run that fast. Sorry, you, run that fast so
0: <laughs> you, you mentioned augmenting, um, uh, augmenting, I, I can't remember the term was that you used, uh, but basically yeah, augmenting our, if it's human. So you're talking about augmentative, augmentative AI. Um, yes. But basically learn from us is am I understanding what that means correctly technically that it basically learns from us as humans and not exclusively from data
2: yeah it basically because if you think about like how do you a very good example is actually where you where you're doing anomaly detection on a very complex chemical plant, let's say a large compressor with 80 with eighty um points on the historian right Um, there's no way of making for a machine to to make sense of that in an unsupervised way. I studied this quite extensively and currently today as we stand, there's no algorithm that can do that. Uh, I I know there's been a lot of progress in in certain types of neural nets for simpler data where uh, you can do unsupervised anomaly detection, but you're not going to do it for a compressor. There you need a highly qualified engineer that knows hyper compressors to, to to train the machine what data is normal and what's not normal. You're not going to do it without an expert's involvement. You know, so effectively it's knowledge transfer from the expert into the machine. And, you know, once you've done it once, it doesn't mean that, you know, the job's over now because... You know what goes on in a in a, in a complex plant like that. Sensors get mm. um, calibrated. You know they, they yeah. overhaul the thing, and now nothing's the same anymore. So, you know it's a continuous job where where are somebody that that where, where subject matter experts have to be closely involved in mm. in in making the technology work for you. And it's and, and and it's the same with with you know like scratching scratch detection on a door. You still need somebody to manage the process to integrate it. You know, you still need like your more traditional uh, technologies and visualization software um, to to make this whole thing work as a coherent system. It, yeah. It's not magic. You know, it's. I mean, I coded my first neural network from scratch in C a very long time ago as part of a demand forecasting algorithm at Esther. You know, and it's just like one it's like one small piece of a very big system with data collection and um you know it's a whole process around it. it it's mm-hmm. it, it's that's just one additional tool in the engineer's toolkit, and that's how I see it. it's not you know like a transistor is a tool in my toolkit. Yeah. So it's an evil net, it's it's not magic.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I fully agree with you with you, Aaron. I'm I'm with you on that, especially on the you know, there's this in the example that you took about the compressors there's certain mechanical properties that that goes into the design of those things that by just looking at a point that's being historized a process variable there's no way that that thing would be able to understand from a mechanical standpoint why certain conditions are in in the process parameters that you are that they are uh, if you think about a thrust bearing a thrust bearing will run higher than a normal bearing it's just the nature of the design and 100 percent you need to and that's where that knowledge in the field and that mechanical knowledge from humans now augment the actual, you know, data that we're getting from, from the sensors in the machine. Um, one thing I think that people might, you know, if they think about augmenting that, they, they probably think about augmented reality. Um, they think about, you know, smart glasses and all kinds of lenses yeah. and virtual reality and stuff that now comes into play, but it, in essence, it's as simple as, as you said, taking a device, and just telling you or making you aware from the result of that AI or that machine learning algorithm, it's not necessarily, you know, that we have to now have all of these fancy <laughs> devices and and almost like minority report stuff happening on the on the on the. On, well, that's always the screen. sexy part. That's the sexy part. <laughs> but I think, but I think you're right. It can be just as simple as letting people some letting people know by ways of clever visualization, um, giving them the right KPI. Um, and delivering it to him where he is and where he needs to make that decision.
2: Yeah, that's that's right, because that, that's a very good point. That's the beginning of the process. You know, now everyone agrees that there's a, uh, let's say it's a process versus um, a manufacturing uh, Everybody agrees there's a potential problem in the process or the supply chain or a particular complex uh, piece of machinery, but that's the start of the process. And you can also think about it like that. Let's say you've got one great hypercompressor guy in the company and you, you're simply not going to get another one and you, you just want to sort of almost transfer that guy's knowledge into an AI which will, which will then allow, um, you know, the guy to almost replicate and clone himself mm-hmm. in all his knowledge, but never without his continued involvement. Uh, you know, so it's kind of like getting more out of what you've got. But still, the the um, you know all the other stuff has to be in place. You, you can imagine your senses must be calibrated. Your historian must be well managed. Your normal visualization because now you need to drill down. Yes, we we we, we think there's something wrong. But now you want to have your your regular visualization software for, because this it's just an, it's the same as it's effectively like an alarm, right? Or an alert. So now, the actual experts must come in and say, ah, no, what, you know what, we replaced that sensor last week, it's a false alarm. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, there's something wrong here, maybe we need to open this thing up. You know, it's that serious. We might have to stop production and have a look. But you're not going to trust those real hardcore decisions, you know, if you've got an order to make, you're not going to trust those real hardcore decisions just to AI. No. you know, you're gonna, the actual experts on the job to do a proper on-site investigation with you know mobile equipment and um, but at least now you and, and if that turns out to be a uh, not to a false positive
0: mm.
2: you've saved yourself a lot of grief and money and you know potentially lives if it's in a yeah. if it's in a power plant it can save lives if, if, it, if it prevents a major incident. And, um, you know, then you're going to be very, very happy that you did that. It's kind of like insurance, right? At the process level. On the quality control level, it's, it's simple. You know, it, it's, it's an extra pair of eyes that works 24-7 and doesn't have to sleep mm-hmm. in terms of picking up scratches and things in a, in, a, in, a, in a dangerous process. You know, it can save lives. And it's a form of insurance because you, you're protecting yourself against risk. Um, you know things like dangerous chemical environmental releases or you know a, a turbine flying off its um, you know and and killing people i mean that does happen right? or a boiler exploding so so you know if you if if, if you think about the r o i over a long time if you 've got a lot of boilers and you can find some sort of AI that's going to prevent one explosion. Hmm. The, the lives and and i mean to, to replace a large boiler is not a cheap exercise right it's a, yeah i i think it's a cheap kind of insurance if you think about the fact you're not getting them you know it, 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 there's some uninsurable uninsurable industrial events that you can help mitigate using ai by preventing major accidents which which i think is a great thing and it, it's not taking about taking away anybody's jobs it's just Doing things that were impossible before, and you know, post COVID, it, it means that you can that you can um, you, you can do it remotely. You know, we, yeah. we haven't even talked about other technologies like drones, where your 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 image source is a drone. Yeah. You know, power line inspections. You know, all these these fires that get caused in in areas like Australia and uh, California by sparks. So you can have a drone going up and down the fire line and sending guys to go cut trees. And you're saving lives, you're, you, you, you're saving, you're preventing major damage to property with, mm. with this technology. Mm. So, you know, you know, there's the concept of augmentative AI and ethical AI where, and there's actually companies that subscribe to that. They, they won't, you know, like uh, uh, engineering consulting companies, Um, I know a guy in Canada, they simply don't take on a job if they think the owner wants to cut costs by getting rid of people. And they subscribe to ethical AI. And they try and use AI for for good things, you know, like like preventing fires by picking up, um, you know, uh, 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 finding trees close to power lines that need trimming. now, that's a very very difficult thing to do with with with, with staff. you know it doesn't matter how many people you have now when it's rainy season those things grow quickly and um grass plants you know uh, arcing is 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 such a huge huge dangerous thing in Australia and california every year and um AI and drones can really, really help to to mitigate that risk.
0: Herman, the on, on the drones, I think the the business case for drones, um, you know that that's fairly well publicised, and uh, there's some obviously some incredible examples all over the world. The most or the most obvious one that I can think of is um, uh, I think it is in uh, in Africa. I can't remember the name of the crowd. They actually use the drones to. Uh, to deliver essential medicines and, and um, uh, blood, uh, blood as well as essential medicines to, to rural areas in the country. Um, and, and over and above cases like that, there's an incredible business case for drones in general, generally speaking. What is, maybe, maybe it's an unfair question to ask you, but what in your opinion has prevented a lot of those sort of initiatives and projects taking off and becoming a lot more pervasive than what they have been?
2: Well, I think I think maybe it's also like like some of it and some of the capabilities have been overhyped, and you know, there's things like the reliability and you know, there's these practical things, challenges that I need that I think need to be solved. You know, for example, the drone going down the bar line looking for trees, but then, you know. Flying into the power line and then causing the, the flash No, that's not great
0: and so I think the,
2: the, I think there's definitely risks around it um, and that, that need to be resolved but I think for the right business case um, you know where, where flying the drone is safe and it's not it's not going to cause a problem in itself mm-hmm. um, like in agriculture. You know, for example, uh, uh, interestingly enough, some of the major AI unicorns are in agriculture. Yeah, where where drones can identify, um, well, a combination of satellite and drone photos, uh, which is then image processed by AI, can can really help a farmer. You know, especially if if, if it's a highly automated scenario, to you know pick up Dental crop problems um, and and resolve those things a lot faster.
1: And it's, and, um, if, and when you hear these stories, everyone it actually sounds it sounds so. How can I say it sounds so? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, there's, a, there's this one um, story of in the ag- ag- agriculture where all they do is they they take a drone, fly it up, they take a picture of their of the um, you know their avo trees or whatever. And just by looking at the color of the green, the color of the green and the tint of the green of the tree, they can immediately identify, you know, does it need more fertilizer? Does it need more um, nitrogen, etc.? And when you hear these kind of stories, it's almost like, oh yeah, it's common sense, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so it's quite so weird.
2: That, that's a brilliant, brilliant example where a combination of a sensor, with, I mean, a digital camera It's just it's a sensor, mounted on the right device uh, combined with digital image processing can add massive value. And um, I, still- I know there's a local company that, that's doing very well with that sort of technology. And there's a, there's a, I, I was actually just going through the list of AI unicorns, again, AI and FinTech unicorns this morning. And um, two of them, two of the international list are uh, agriculture. You know, so and and I think that's another important um, if if you think about modern automated agriculture, in a sense it's also manufactured. Um, you know, if you take the whole supply chain up to the the packing store, I don't know what the right English word is, the box the box you <laughs> take that into okay. account. You know, it's a um, it, it's kind of like manufacturing, and and it's it's definitely adding a lot of value there. And uh, people are are, are onto on the fact that that where it's really happening um, is image processing, due to the fact that it's accessible. There are people that can their, their skills, you know, locally as well. Um, you know, so if you want to do a uh, image processing quality control project in South Africa today you can do it. There's no real barriers. There are companies that will do it for you. That you there are there's off-the-shelf technology that you can just buy and install and it it just it just become an it becomes a normal SI project. You know um, and, and and if you and if you look at your ROI and you know your business case and you and you link it to your normal OEE, no reason why you can't do it today, provided that you've got the rest you know the rest in place of your, your sort of industrial IT infrastructure and connectivity. Correct. And there's no reason why you can't have people, some of some of the people involved in that process, um, you know, sitting at home. Correct. Where you saving office? You saving office rent? I guess. Correct. As I, to just to highlight
1: that that again. Uh, if we go back to that that image processing, especially in the archi- in the agriculture, you know, yes, we see the greenery of the trees, but again, a nutritionist, I don't know what they call them, the guys that know <laughs> what, what color green will tell me what, um, what chemical or fertilizer you need. There's still that interaction between the human that needs to tell the AI, you know, when you get to this tint of green, it means X, Y, and Z. I mean, we, we're never going to get away with that very anytime soon. Um, and, and one of my colleagues always, always says that, um, you know what there 's always someone that needs to be able to fix the robots right <laughs> they won 't be able to fix themselves well, not yet mm. um, so so that 's great i think there's there's opportunities there's um, new careers i, 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 I don 't even remember the new stats of how many new careers are, are being created every 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 year, um, but this field is definitely opening up so much other possibilities um, for for gener- for generations on possible you know careers that doesn't even exist anymore or at this point i
2: fully agree um like you say it creates new jobs
1: those digital cameras
2: have to be maintained um it becomes mission critical so you need people that look after the it infrastructure to make sure it's 100 percent reliable because now it's so critical to your quality control to your oee and um yeah i fully agree it's uh I, i i'm personally quite excited about um some of the the practical aspects of AI that we see now, you know, the post hype and the post COVID, if you if you want to call it that. And I, I firmly believe that one of the winners, where uh, if I was a plant manager or owner today, that I would seriously look at what would be AI enabled image processing for quality control. It's not hype, it's real off the shelf, buy, integrate, get a SI, um, integrate with the rest of your industrial IT infrastructure. It's, it's a practical thing that you can do today, and on the supply chain side. Yes.
1: Yeah, we've seen some great. We've seen some great uh, stories coming out of SIs in America, where they use exactly that drone technology with image processing uh, on landfills, where they detect um, ex- excessive methane leaks in landfills, potentially stopping fires in landfill sites. So there's definitely case studies and real case examples of how this can be definitely implemented. Um, and as you said, Herman, it's, it's not hype. Maybe on hype, what do, you, what do you, we know image processing, that's real, that's happening, that you can do, but what do you feel is, what's gonna be next?
0: Yeah, and I almost wanna ask, Herman if we, say if we're talking about uh, augmentative AI, um, and let's call it, if, we, if we're looking at this AI-centered business or a human-powered AI business, uh, what are what are some of the key things that that you think are going to be good solid requirements uh, trends uh, hypes things that are that are practical that that's going to help us focus on creating a, or not help us but help people and manufacturers focus on becoming a successful ai-centered uh, business
2: uh, i think that the Probably the first and foremost thing is that uh, one has to be pragmatic in terms of there must be a real business case. And then I think it's I, I think a healthy balance between R and D, self experimentation, and off the shelf technology. You know, don't blow the budget on trying to, don't blow the budget on hiring some expensive consultant and you've got nothing to show for it at the end of the day. Uh, I think there's enough off-the-shelf technology from companies like UpTake and uh, and, and others, you know, to to make a, a investment with with a guaranteed return. Mm. Um, and I think the the you know just like any other technology, the change management, the training, and everything to make sure the system actually works business as usual. Mm. Going it's, it's something that I'm personally very excited about in terms of what's next is um, Deep learning networks are now being able to, uh, starting to be able to, to detect and learn extremely complex sequential behaviors you know from a uh, say, let's call it a cybernetic system so, so so one thing for example where I think um, there's great potential in terms of, of, of uh, future innovation um, is where, you know, the classic problem of alarm overload and of not, uh, you don't really want, I mean, uh, you, know, you know, if you look at mathematical advanced process control, yeah, where, where you use uh, algorithms, like, you know, state space models and things like that for advanced process control, mm-hmm. where the operator has to almost like let go and trust the technology where I think augmentative AI has fantastic potential in complex process manufacturing plants mm. is by, by taking all the data from, from what goes into that product. Now let's, say it's, let's make it an example baking bread or, or very expensive live antibio- antibiotic manufacturer um, where you you basically I um, do very sophisticated alarm management um preventing information overload of the operators you know a, a, a situational awareness so so what alarms are actually the most important, not according to the rules but according to historical data now for this current situation, what should I be? If I can only pay attention to three alarms, or five alarms, or seven alarms, which seven should it be? You know that that real-time prioritisation, as well as the ability to uh, predict bad batches. You know, if if, if a batch is going to be bad due to the, the the early stages of the manufacturing process uh, um, of, of of some expensive product, there's no point in carrying one. You know, stop the old bus and. And, and send it and, and, and do whatever you need to do for rework. And and also uh, if there's any if if there's anything that you can do about it. So it can learn that this operator team had exactly the same situation and they managed to salvage it by having these settings and having these sequence of settings. You know, where in an augmentative way the AI can then sort of guide a, 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 a less experienced or a different um, team of operators on a different shift to say, well, uh, and, and again, you know, some of these people might be working from home if you've got the right infrastructure. But uh, I think that's not the main thing. I think the main thing is that um, it's almost like a new form of, 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 of process control where you yeah actually providing decision support to operators and um, as opposed to, uh, and and, and one of the techniques used for that is reinforcement learning, as opposed to saying, you know what, you hands off, you're gonna give it to this, the APC is gonna do it for you. Um, And and this is also current reality. It's already starting to happen. There's a, a company in the UK that's done some projects like that where they provide mining operator decision support um you know things like tailing dams and, and 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 those some of the other gold mining processes where they 've actually i know they 've done projects in local mines that that um, has provided value and has been successful um, in terms of operator decision support by learning complex sequential behaviors and and being able to provide advice on what works and what doesn't work. You know not based only on the current information in the census but on the history on the on the recent history of of either a you know a continuous process or a batch which which I think is also real um, because the technology is maturing and it's not it's not taking over the world stuff, it's just decision support so it's not threatening mm-hmm. the operator can ignore it. His boss might say, "Well, you had this advice, and you, you know you screwed up this <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly. But,
2: you know, so so the, the but the nice thing is it's it's a natural, non-invasive process, and the organisation, the combination of management and operators will naturally adapt to it as they see that it works. Yes, um, and and I think that's another. I think that's something that for the future that that, that that's maybe. It's not as sexy as image processing, but I, also th- I, I, but I think it can add value it without being seen as uh, hype or invasive or yeah. a threat to jobs and, and, and without annoying the operators, if you
0: yeah. to be blunt. I think it's all sexy. It's all very, very exciting stuff. Um, I think, sure, really I think we, we're close to our time. Um, I had mean, a couple of key takeaway thoughts for me um, and probably the most, the ones that stuck out for me the most. I think even with AI at its core, when we're talking about the, I, I hate to refer to the term of the new way, but let's not call it the new way, let's call it uh, AC after COVID. Even with AI at its core, um, it's crucial to understand that it's not a zero human mindset. And in fact, uh, to your point, augmentative AI will learn from us. Um, and it will teach us also in ways that we can trust. Um, And that's obviously going to play an essential role in just the continuation of what we currently have as the fourth industrial revolution. So that was a key takeaway for me.
2: Yep, very well summarized. I think you you probably summarized it better than I did, and I'm going to try and remember what you
0: said.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And my last comments from me, I know it's not it's not in for the for now, obviously it's not the intended purpose of of it, but uh, it's probably going to help people more with spinal disabilities uh, alzheimer's, a little bit of dementia, but obviously I'm talking about neurolink um, Will you be in the line? Would you actually consider having one of these things implanted in your brain?
2: <laughs> you know what maybe um am um, you know, when people reach a certain age, they develop resistance to certain technologies. Okay. Maybe I'm there now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it just sounded from obviously your passion and, and your and your expertise in the field that um, I would have thought you might have been in in the, in line for. I'm surprised. For I am surprised. i <laughs>
0: uh, surprised uh, and maybe a little bit disappointed.
2: <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm very. I'm very. Um, I love studying and building gadgets, but I'm I, I'm not a big gadget user. Okay.
0: okay.
2: Cool. All right. Because you don't trust them. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: yeah,
2: I mean it's funny. Like when I was in high school, I used I never played any computer games at the cafe, but that gives you an idea of my age. <laughs> but I, I I sat in front of my computer writing. So I guess I still
0: have that mindset. I'm more of a, I'm more of
2: a I like holding technology as opposed to
0: yeah. using it. Okay, cool. Awesome, Emma. Thank you so much. Personally, I, don't think today. I
2: don't think I don't think I might I might have I, I, I might be a late adopter and if no one's,
1: <laughs> behind the curve.
2: You know, if no one's blown the like <laughs> a dollar with this, maybe, but I'll wait and see and,
0: and yeah, for sure. I think everyone's it's quite especially where it's from, it's very, very highly anticipated. And I think it's gonna be fascinating to follow. Arman, thank you yeah. so much for the chat. Thank you for the insights. I really enjoyed the time with you. Um, is it okay if we share your contact details with, with the listeners and, and maybe put a couple of links up?
1: Yeah, uh, yo, yo, sure. Uh, it's pleasure. With yeah,
0: pleasure, like, yes. Um,
1: Arman's got quite the, quite the interesting articles that he wrote. Um, I've read your, your survival, using survival analysis on, on equipment. That um, sounds fascinating. Article. Um, Arman, it's, it's quite an interesting read. I love the, I love the, the tidbits back into history where, where deaths were <laughs> were way more than births. Um, but anyway, that's that's quite a, <laughs> quite an interesting article that you wrote about using survival oh, analytics on on equipment probability. Yeah, that's great.
0: Cool. We'll 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 share your contact details. I'm sure they they would be um, one or two folks who would want to get in touch with you, I remember, But thanks, thank you so much again for your time. We really appreciate it. Okay. Pleasure. Cool. Um, thank you but, too. Uh, have a good weekend so we've got we've got a couple of recordings on the way we we uh, kudzai kudzai was the one we we had a, a, an amazing chat with kudzai as also an online educator um, we have a re we will have to re-record his, his conversation we had a couple of troubles um, issues with the recording on that one uh, we also have coming up um, out of the list of of people that we really really want to have a chat with is senele goba uh, who is, of course, the director at 4-Hour Innovations, a company that she runs, but also, um, more importantly, she was recently awarded a place in the US State Department Tech Women Program. Um, and Sinele is just doing some incredible work in the community and, and, and really just getting the business, not the business case, uh, the love case for STEM, um, especially with children and young children, is to build that case in terms of why STEM needs more focused in, in education. So we are going to chat with Suneli. I think we'll probably broadcast that next week.
1: Um, And yeah, as always. Yeah, please, guys, if you have any other topics or people that you'd like us to interview and have on our podcast, please uh, keep those requests rolling. Uh, You can contact us at podcast at element8.co.za and we will work those topics into our schedule.
0: Fantastic. That was your episode. Um, As always, thank you for listening. We hope you find it valuable and we will see you on the next episode. If you haven't figured
1: it out, I've got a call out sign. It always goes like this. Cheers.
0: (laughs) Cheers, everyone. Bye.